Hi, I'm Wayne Jones, the host of ReChristian. Welcome to episode two, Faith. Like people of many other religious beliefs, Christians are often said, and they say themselves, that they have faith. I read it as a more broad, more euphemistic, and in a way less committal and less embarrassing term than the old-fashioned, I believe in God. I suppose to look at it in a more positive way, it is more inclusive. There are connotations attached to the word God that many people might not be comfortable with. It conjures up images of the old man in the flowing robe and with a big white beard sinning on the throne of judgment. Just a side note, but perhaps if it were a throne of acceptance or understanding or empathy, just perhaps people wouldn't have had to change any terminology. The word faith has become so common that politicians and their culture in general have conveniently adopted it to avoid speaking directly or again to be more inclusive. From the woke addled tongues of reporters and government officials, the new term to use is faith-based, not religious, and certainly not Christian. It's intentionally a fuzzy, vague, and euphemistic term that, for example, governments can get away with using without the secularists kicking up too much of a protest. In recent years in Canada, for example, where I live, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper went old school and established the Office of Religious Freedom, whereas American President George W. Bush called his the White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. It still continues under Joe Biden, by the way. Faith itself, especially as it regards one of the most fundamental aspects of our human lives, is for me a bit of an odd concept. I see it essentially as believing strongly in something without any direct, tangible, replicable evidence. That's okay if you're buying a small appliance on Amazon for $20, But if it concerns the core of your ethics and how you will conduct yourself in the world and how you will fare in the afterworld, it seems flimsy. The corollary to this way of thinking, though, is that the very fact that it concerns life and afterlife, heaven and hell, is what makes Christians grasp onto faith so strongly without consulting any evidence. I've been an atheist since I was about 15 years old, and I know, anecdotally of course, that I have read more of the Bible and thought more about the justification for faith than many of the people who can't see themselves as anything other than devout Christians. I have a theory about this, or perhaps this is common knowledge that Christians just don't want to talk about or admit. That is, many people have faith because they are afraid of dying. Or more precisely, many people just will not let themselves believe that after they die, there is no heaven. You simply cease to exist as a physical object and as a consciousness. It's from this which has sprung a kind of middle ground where some Christians proudly announce that they don't believe in the literal Bible and that they will ascend to heaven after God has initiated the rapture and then installed his son as autocratic leader of the world for a thousand years. Yes, that's what the Bible says will happen. Quote, I saw thrones and they sat on them and the authority to judge was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness of Jesus and for the word of God. 
They had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. This ridiculousness is a bit much even for Christians, so you often hear them talking about existing spiritually after death or as energy, calling on the scientific principle that human bodies are forms of energy and energy cannot be either created or destroyed. These are not only vague concepts, but I am not sure that these desperate Christians have thought them through. Can existing as a spirit, or especially as just energy, have any of the pleasure of, say, having a coffee with your friends, or eating good food, or having sex with an enthusiastic partner? Many other Christians have simply not thought about it at all. They were raised on religion, and they just accept the so-called fact of it, just as they might think that other religions are false and that gay people are ruining marriage for the rest of us. These are people for whom evidence and truth are not important values. I try hard to tell the truth all the time, but I do not always succeed, of course. And as for evidence, I just don't see any for the existence of God or the truth of Christianity. It might be kind of nice to live in in forever after I die, presuming I don't go to hell. I find humid places a bit uncomfortable, and I sometimes perspire embarrassingly. But when I read the Bible and just examine the so-called reasoning why life after death is real, I'm, I'm not convinced, and I can't force myself to believe something that looks like it is categorically a fantasy. The beliefs that Christians have, whether based on fear or on ignorance, would be harmless if they did not also produce zealots who are determined to proselytize, to save me too and worst of all, to try to influence weak-willed politicians to impose legislation based on the dumb rules in the Bible, a compilation of various books written perhaps two or 3,000 years ago. The true believers believe that it was written by God, or that God inspired selected men, note, it's always men, of course, to write one book or the other. It's nonsense, of course, but some Christians believe in what we now generally refer to as a literal interpretation of the Bible. I don't know what's scarier, a Christian who believes that or a Christian who bases their whole life and belief system on a book they have never read. It all wouldn't be so angering if Christians didn't have any influence, if they were just a small cult like flat earthers or people who like liver. But there are real effects. There are still some states in the United States which outlaw gay marriage, based on nothing but a prejudice and references to homosexuality in that ancient text. The best known is probably in the book of Leviticus, quote, You shall not lie with a man as one does with a woman. It is an abomination, unquote. The same stupid narrow-mindedness about homosexuality also informs the animus toward abortion. Many Christian obsessions are sexually related, by the way. The political pressure from evangelical Christians and others led in 2022 to abortion rights being struck down by the Supreme Court, 
almost 50 years after these rights had been legal, though often the subject of much protest by self-righteous conservative Christians. My main point is that if you want to have faith in a God who inspired the writing of a fucked up and outdated book, that's of course fine. Freedom of thought and speech is an important value in a democratic, secular society. But the ridiculous and dangerous prejudiced laws, which are sometimes result of this faith, are often very real and injurious as a consequence of those uh, statements. And another consequence is more general. If you believe in God and faith alone, without any evidence, then there's a good possibility that you're not going to be rigorous in other conclusions that you come to either, at work, in your personal life, with your life partner. And I wonder if Christians are more likely to be duped by misleading advertising or, say, the myriad lies and half-lies which permeate the internet. When I was in my early teens, I had faith for about a year. My mother sometimes took us to Pentecostal church services, and during one of them, feeling especially lonely and moved by the strenuous rhetoric of the pastor calling on people to be what the Pentecostals call saved. It means accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and that this church, at least, in Cox's Cove, Newfoundland, Canada, those who wanted salvation were asked to come to the front of the church in front of everyone in the pews behind me, and declare your love for Jesus and your commitment to change your life to serve him. I was crying hard. I was just a shy kid at the time and not one to make a spectacle of myself, so this was a big deal for me. It lasted for about a year. The fishers of men should have caught me earlier in life because then I was just just, just, just on the cusp of thinking for myself, growing up, being logical and sensible. After a while, being a saved Pentecostal became a bit embarrassing, and since since then, two things have happened. The less important one is that I am now and forever consider what the Pentecostals call a backslider, basically an apostate, someone who used to believe but doesn't believe anymore. I actually consider it a badge of honor. The more important thing is that I became a dedicated non-believer, an atheist, and as the almost 50 years have passed since a lonely and depressed teenager gave his life to Jesus, I have taken it back and become more and more confident in that atheism, and much more demanding and insisting that there be more than just mere faith before I believe in God or any other supernatural being.